Welcome back to Operation Evil. This is episode 94, Framed and Shamed for Murder. I'm your host, Nyoka. I'm Rachel. And I don't know how the weather is where you are, but here it is as cold as Rachel's heart. No, not really. <laughs> Sorry. It's delightful and warm. <laughs> no, it's not. We actually had a snow day today because it was awful. This is like our feels- first like snow of the season. Uh-huh. It feels, feels like we're back in school. Yeah, yeah. It's It was an interesting day. But anyway, that's all I got for you. Um, I want to... Shit, there was two things that I wanted to say. But one of the things is go over to Ordi- Order 42's channel to say hi to our friend, Rob. Um, He's kind of having some family stuff going on right now i don't want to get into details you can go to his channel and find the details if you want because he may not want me to say but he's been sick too just like a cold or whatever but just go say hi like go to his twitter or go to his youtube it's order the order 42 show yeah and if you guys remember he's been on the show a couple times we love him Mm -hmm. and um i think we already mentioned this maybe in our last thing but to um, Reaper Clean, thanks again for tagging us in a post and making us part of your 2023 goals and highlights. Yeah, that meant a lot. Yeah. We've made such good friends with them. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love good it. Good people. Very good people. But they also, like, even though if you don't live in California, like, they have, there's a Fresno flyer where, is it um, Amber that writes it? All the yeah. articles? Yeah, they have a different article every month. Yep. And, like, this past one was on, like, animals. And then, like, there's some that could be on suicide prevention. Like, they're just educational-type articles, like, to read. So Yeah, and you can find it online at thefresnoflyer.com every month. It's um, the new one's out. So you can go on there and check it out. Mm-hmm. Or follow their Facebook page. Um, it's posted on there, too. All right. Yeah. Is that it for uh, housekeeping? I think so. I am ready when you are. I don't know. All I don't right. have this story, so I'm ready. Yeah, you don't have a clue. No and clue. let me just give you a backstory on how I, I already told Nyoka this, but this is how my brain works. Like, everybody, you know, everybody says that, like, this is how my brain works. Mm-hmm. So I had no clue what to do. And I was like, well, let me just pick a crime that happened the year I was born and in the state that I was born and close to where I was born. And so I chose a crime that happened in 1979 in the Louisville area. Of course, in Kentucky. This yeah. is about Virgil Harris. It's it's like you, know, you roll the die, you know, in your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what am I going to do with this? What's time? it going to be? Mm-hmm. And then this turned out to be such a good research because there's just more to it. And it's still ongoing, I guess you could say. All right. Yeah. Where's my article thing? I wouldn't know. There it is. <laughs> why, aren't you here? why aren't you here for assistance? <laughs> okay. So like I said, um, this is an article about Virgil Lee Harris, but it's also about... A man named Brian Keith Moore. And it's funny because when I saw his name, it reminded me of Keith Morris, the Dateline guy. <laughs> and it was Moore, but you know. Uh, yeah. 
So what's sad, what's really, really sad, though, about this story is that Virgil was murdered on his birthday. Oh, I always thought that's weird when people have the same birth and death day. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, that's crazy. The, Virgil, though, he was like, so he he was turning 77 that day. It was um, August 10th, 1979. And he owned a this ice cream store. It was called Dairy Dell Ice Cream Store. And he ran the store for like 25 years. And from the resources that I found, I th- I believe that his wife might have already had passed. Um, because when I read his um obituary it just mentioned like his daughters or i'm sorry his sons and his daughter he was a member of the baptist church there locally he was from shively which i guess would be like a suburb of louisville and he had one of his sons was a doctor and then another son was um jefferson county part of the police department and that he had a daughter and at the time of the murder he had six grandchildren and one great grandchild. And I think that is so cool that that they got to, I mean, I don't know how old they were, but at that time, like 1979, being 77 years old and your grandfather or great grandfather being there for to see yeah. you born or what have you, that's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And as I mentioned, um, it was his birthday, and that that day he was supposed to go to his birthday party. His son was expecting him. And, you know, when he didn't show up for his party, the son reported him missing. Now, Virgil had a daily routine. He would arrive at the ice cream store about 8.30 a.m. And then he would go to the bank and then go to AMP, which I'm guessing was a grocery store, um, between 10 o'clock a.m. and 11.20 a.m., like every day. Now, this particular day... He left the store, his ice cream store, around 11.20 a.m. He made a deposit at the Liberty National Bank in Shively. And then he placed an order at the bank for some rolls of coins. So he left with his money bag. And I don't know if I mentioned he did make a deposit. And he um, then went to the AMP to buy some bananas. And I'm guessing for some banana splits, Nayoka. Probably. He seems to really love ice cream. Yeah, and banana splits are your favorite. I love banana splits. I know. They're the best. Now, you keep pressing <laughs> your Xbox. I'm sorry. You're distracting <laughs> our listeners. Do you hear that Xbox? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now, on this particular day, this man, there was a man that, so, okay, so Virgil is coming out after doing his errands. He went to the bank. He got his bananas. He's on his way to his car to go back to the ice cream store. Virgil drives a 1978 Maroon Buick and as he's opening the door and getting into the car, this man approaches him and he's got a gun in his hand and he's directing it at Virgil. Now at this point, we're not too clear what exactly happened, but we don't know if the perpetrator forced Virgil to to drive the car or if it was like a hijack situation where the the perpetrator forced Virgil into the passenger seat and he drove away or what happened. But at some point, the two drive off in the car. And supposedly there was a witness to see this um, 
just to see that there was a man with a gun at Virgil's car with the door open. And we'll get to that too, because that's so conflicting because why would you, why wouldn't you just go call the police or something? I don't know. Whatever. There's okay. more to that. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so in another area of, oh my God, I'm sorry. I did it again. <laughs> Hear the wrestling. I'm moving. <laughs> So in another area of Louisville, Brian, who's 21, he had spent a couple of days with his friends, Lynn Thomas and her boyfriend, Kenny Blair. Now, I don't know that they were friends per se, or if they were like more than just a place to right. Yeah. So because Brian was a drifter, he was a local drifter. So I guess, you know, he would stay here and there. He didn't really have like a, a home. And, you know, Brian grew up that way, too. It wasn't much of a stable environment. He At points, he was in different foster homes. He was institutionalized. He was physically abused and severely neglected. His mother was an alcoholic. And then, you know, as he became an adult, he had anger issues. He was in and out of trouble. And he had drug use and alcohol use issues as well. He had a lot yeah. going on. He did. He did. Now, Kevin, he was on probation for a felony conviction. For what? Like, so, yeah. So, like, Kevin, the the friend, you know, he wasn't necessarily being a good dude either. <laughs> and then, like, Lynn, the girlfriend, I don't know what she was up to. She was just there. There's really not any inf- that much information about her other than... Um, witness testimony. Now, on the third day of Brian's stay with Lynn and Kenny, this is the same day that Virgil was kidnapped. Brian shows up at the apartment in a car, and then he has a like a paper bag. Like remember back in the day, the bags were like paper grocery store bags, mm-hmm. and inside of that paper bag is guess what? What? A money bag, a gun, the clip from the gun, several rolls of coins, and guess what else? Uh, car keys? Bananas! Bananas. Bananas. Why would now, someone put all the evidence in one bag? Be like, oh, <laughs> here you go! <laughs> like, when you think the banana... like, And it was funny, too, because I read... I keep saying funny, but it's just silly because... It's like one of the articles said several bananas. Like, I don't know. It's it's silly. It's silly. So I guess, you know, the three are just hanging out or whatever. And then later on, at some point, sometime later, Brian tells Lynn and Kenny, oh, I robbed a place of $250. And then adds more to the story that he had followed a man to his car and demanded his money. And then the man like pulled at his mask. So the man could see who he was, see his face. Mm-hmm. And then he was, Brian was like, well, I'm not going to let him live to testify against me, you know, and identify me. So he drives, he decides to drive this man to Jeffersonville road, which is a heavily wooded area and shoots him. Okay. Okay. So, Kenny, he's like, all right, let me call my lawyer. And 
let me tell my lawyer, the lawyer's name is Murray Turner, about this information. And he's like, hey, I have this information about a murder. So then the lawyer, Murray, he's like, okay, let me call the Commonwealth assistant attorney and see if I can get a deal for my client. So in exchange for testimony against Brian, the Commonwealth attorney agreed to probation. They they agreed to recommend probation for Kenny's felony charge or whatever. His old charges. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I'm guessing Kenny was in the process of of like waiting to go to trial or what have you or to be like charged or whatever. And so this is the agreement that they came to. Okay. Now let me add to you before I forget, because I might. Kenny, years later, I don't know what year, I could not find it. He is no longer living. He has passed. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Was he murdered too? I don't know. Like Probably I looked not. for. I saw something. Yeah. Would have thought. Yeah. I. You know what? I take the back. Actually, it might have been from cancer, but I could not find another article to prove that it was the same Kenny. Mm. So maybe if there's a listener that knows more information, let us know. Or maybe if you live in that area, let us know. So you know. Kenny, after talking to the lawyer about this information about a murder, and it's uncertain, too, like, did Kenny, was he aware that this person, Virgil, was missing? Because at this point, they still hadn't found Virgil. So Virgil went missing on a Friday. He wasn't found until the next day. Okay. Yeah. And Louisville is such a huge city. You know, it's kind of like Cincinnati here that you may not hear about all the things Mm -hmm. especially when back in 79 it was just the news but right but anyhow kenny tells the police where to find brian at he's like hey he's at my apartment and tells them there's that there's a 1978 buick there which you know fits the the description of virgil's car a maroon buick that's pretty damn and yeah and um the police searched the car and there's a pistol found concealed in the car. There's rolled coins in the back seat. And there's, you know, after like talking to or like retaining or whatever, arresting Brian, they, um, they, what do you call that when they like search your hands for, or they test your hands for gun residue? They found the residue on his hands. And there was a description by this witness who saw Virgil, you know, with the gun pointed toward this man. Remember that witness yeah. earlier? This witness said that, you know, the the description, like she gave a description of a man and Brian's description fit the same description. Okay. Okay. So that matched. And then there was another person that supposedly saw brian driving a car that fit virgil's like that car's description and this person supposedly asked brian like where did you get that car and brian said oh it's my uncle's and i'm just taking over the payments now brian's family did live locally there was an aunt that was actually at the trial that testified that was there like a witness or whatever like for character or whatever so i mean that's not unlikely and it's also likely i guess you could say so take take what you will from that. 
Ultimately, Brian is arrested and he's charged with murder and first degree robbery and kidnapping. And he's sentenced to the death penalty. Now, there was talks that the reason why, <clears throat> you know, the death penalty was because this was the father of a police officer. And, you know, that pressure was coming down on the Commonwealth to to get this take, you know, get it ended, like seek justice. Yeah. Close the case. Mm hmm. But but, you know, like I said, that's not where it ends. In 1982, Brian's conviction was overturned. And and let me like detail there, like the trial, like the murder happened in 79 and the trial I don't I can't tell you what exactly year the first trial was. I believe it was in 79, the same year like the murder happened in August and I think the trial was in November and he was convicted in November. So it was that fast. But he appealed and you know filed a motion and was granted a new trial. So the new trial happened in 1984. And the reason why he was granted the new trial was because they found that there was errors by the trial judge and the prosecutors. So in 1984, the defense attorney, he had, Brian had a new attorney, William Radigan, and he really tried his best to show that Brian was set up by Kenny. Brian alleges that Kenny is the real culprit. But however, he was again convicted and sentenced to death again. There were 14 jurors and 30 witnesses. Both attorneys, the Commonwealth attorney and defense attorney, both at the opening statement said that all the evidence was circumstantial. And what evidence I'm talking about is there was a watch that was found. It was Virgil's watch. And it was found. Um, one report said that Brian was wearing it. Another report said that it was found in the police cruiser. So like when they arrested Brian and took him out of the cruiser, it was like left in the seat. And um, there was soil that was on Brian's clothing that matched the soil at the scene where Virgil was murdered. And then, you know, the the rolled coins and, and the, um, the money bag and all that stuff, too. I guess that would be part of circumstantial evidence. So, so Kenny set him up, mm -hmm. they had to put on Brian's clothes and everything, and then plan to go out in that day and yeah. commit this crime, drive the car back, bag the evidence, and then call the police on Brian. Right? Right. And also, Kenny, you know, when um, Brian after this 1984 se sentencing conviction, he appealed again, like in 1999, or I'm sorry, 1990. And he was like, you know, I received ineffective assistance of counsel. And he brought up all these points. And one of the points about the clothes was that he said that the clothes that were found and again, I'm not quite certain how the clothes were found. Like, was Brian wearing the clothes or were the clothes found at the apartment? But supposedly these clothes, this shirt and these pants would not fit Brian. Oh. And that was one. Yeah. And that's one of the things that was brought up. You know, these clothes with the soil that matched the crime scene, like they didn't even fit him. 
And then another point was, now they ruled this as hearsay, but there was an, a fellow inmate of Kenny's from the, like, I guess, like, right in the same timeline of some sorts. I don't know. Must have happened after the murder because it was like Kenny was bragging in a way like, I did it. You know, let me find the actual what he said. Hold on. You're going to hear paper. And and this um, convict or this fellow prisoner, what he says is kind of like believable because what does he have to lose? I wonder what his motive would have been to I set think, Brian well, up. Are you going to get into that? I think that he just... So really the two guys, like, they were into drugs and stuff. Okay. So Brian said that that day he was high. And I think that maybe Kenny was too or something. Or maybe Kenny was just just a thug. And maybe he just didn't want to serve more time. I don't know. But yeah, he definitely... I don't... It's usually what is your opinion? love or money. So that's why I was trying to figure out. I think this is... You're right. So I think it's just over money. Yeah, I can't find what um, that guy's statement. But it, it was basically like, you know, like this prisoner was saying, what do I have to lose? Like, I'm in here for time. And so, you know, like, what do I have to gain? Why would I make this up? This is what the dude said and blah, blah, blah. But the court was just basically like, no, you were given a fair trial um, and one of the other things, too, was that, you know, how in most cases like this, like how I mentioned earlier, how Brian had a rough upbringing. Yeah. That's always brought up. But in this case, Brian felt like that it wasn't. So at the second trial, his defense lawyer hired a psychologist. And then he found out that the psychologist was a fraud. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So instead of like getting another psychologist he was just like he just dismissed it now there was like remember i mentioned the aunt like she was there and testified you know like like i said like kind of like a character witness but there was also like confliction with her because well it wasn't really confliction on her part but like they try to make it like she was saying that brian was a like a troublemaker and like he would tell tall tales to get himself out of trouble but she said that what it was was that a police officer, like, wrote her statement to suit his own needs. So he took it out of context. Okay, so yeah. So there was little, little things like that. And then, like, you know, why didn't they call a, psych a psychologist? And so since that 1984 trial, and like I said, you know, Brian filed a motion to you know, appeal and, and all these different things since 1990. Um, and one of the facts was that he himself got a psychologist and the psychologist, like at one of the review hearings, was like telling all these things like, yeah, he had a bad childhood and he's got anger issues. And and maybe this could not have fact affected the outcome of, of someone getting murdered, but maybe it could have you know hmm. so i don't know like oh, no. and then 
so much about this reminds me of Damian Eccles and Jesse Miss Kelly and um, Jason Baldwin because like in 2006 there was like found evidence okay and then there was like lost evidence so the found evidence was that there was like more witnesses like there was people that come forward and you know Brian wanted to have the ability to be able to have these people tell their stories or what have you now remember the clothing the clothing like the shoe the shirt and the shoes or or the shirt and the pants or whatever yeah so he was able to have those retested for dna and the results come back that brian's dna was on the clothes but there was also two other people's dna and Brian was like, well, can we have it tested more? And they said no. The motion was denied. But on another part of it, there was two pieces of evidence that went missing. So the Commonwealth was like, all right, Commonwealth District or Assistant Attorney, whatever, you've got 60 days to present this evidence. And you need to tell me how you found it or what you're doing to find it. And guess what? They didn't find the evidence. <laughs> I oh. think it was like a, a pair of shoes and and a shirt or something. I can't I was gonna remember. Say, what about shoes? Did did they do fingerprint testing then? Well, there was it was in their in the car on the steering wheel or there was fingerprints, um, but it was like on what was it like on the coins? So it wasn't even on the the steering wheel. Well, whose fingerprints were on the coins? supposedly brian's but that could have been framed right like close the case i automatically thought like what if keith was like hey brian like here's some money like here's a rolled coin and here's a watch for you that's why i mean it could have weird yeah and then what was the other thing i was thinking oh at the trial the 1984 trial you know like these 30 witnesses well, Lynn Thompson, remember, she's the girlfriend of of uh, Kenny. Mm-hmm. Now, they called in two women that worked at this um, at the DMV or the clerk's office for like where you go get your driver's license. Yeah. And three days after the, the murder, this woman testified that Kenny and um, his girlfriend, I already forgot her name were at Lynn that they were at the clerk's office getting their driver's license at a such and such time. Well, then years after at the 90, 1984 trial, she testified to be a different time. So the first or the three days after the murder, that time frame, it gave Kenny an alibi. I see. And then there was a, yeah, and then there was another woman who was like, oh, yeah, I remember them two being in here. So there was, you know, two witnesses to testify to give Kenny an alibi that, you know, such and such Kenny and his girlfriend were in here at this time. So there's no way that they could have committed the murder. But then on the other hand, the other timeline could have been like, well, he did have 15 minutes to go here and, you know, go to the woods and then come back. So. Are we sure Every that time. Kenny's girlfriend didn't have a thing with Brian? Was that I guess ever that could, found? 
that's always a possibility too, but I didn't find anything about okay. I didn't about know. That. I just keep thinking. I don't know. Well, and like this this guy Brian, like it sounds like he's proactively educating himself um to keep fighting to clear his name. And you know, I found his name on the Innocence Project website and he is also being proactive in like um the evidence that like there's some kind of law in Kentucky when a piece of evidence is is tested for DNA and like that's it, right? And then it can't be like further tested. And he fought to get that changed or help get that changed so that there's more like detailed, I guess like more intensive testing, more um narrow it down. Yeah, because there's transfer DNA, which is probably exactly. what's on those items. Right. And even up until like it's weird though, because like 2019 or something is like the last that you he- you've heard from the guy and it's just like a um article talking about where him and two other prisoners are they filed a lawsuit where so Kentucky has the lethal injection um like what do you call that capital punishment or whatever mm-hmm. so there's some kind of drug it's like a concoction of three drugs and they're trying to change that somehow and i don't know if i have let me see if i have the details for that also part of that too is like where you have to have a certain iq to be like to give it to be like i guess to carry out the death penalty and like they've changed that too so again i didn't know full extent of that because some of that stuff is like verbiage that I'm like, what? I don't understand. It's too technical. Yeah. But my whole point is, is that Brian seems like that he's doing what he can to educate himself and to be proactive to get his name cleared and to help others, too. And, you know, what if what if that is the thing? He was a drifter and he grew up in a rough childhood or whatever, and he was put in wrong time, wrong place. And, you know, he he doesn't, like, he hasn't been given an execution date yet either. When you look him up at the on the corrections uh, website, there's no execution date and there's really no update. Wait, so today? And this As of today. Since 1979? Since 1979. And I'm like, okay, well, let me see if I can find, like, an obituary. Maybe he passed. No, nothing. Interesting. You see, like I said, yeah, you see his name in this article about the IQ lethal injection thing and the the three concoction of drugs, and then that's it. I keep going back to when you first said that all the evidence was in that paper bag in the grocery mm-hmm. bag. It's weird. And I'm like, yeah, let's put all the evidence in one bag. Here you go. That is weird. That does make you think too. Who the hell would do that? Like somebody and, trying and, to frame somebody, maybe. And the bananas, or, like, or someone not intelligent mm-hmm. and not thinking it out yeah i mean as a like thinking as a criminal i would be like throwing shit to the side or like i would leave it with the victim so he's and either I mean, a really bad criminal or he's been set up mm-hmm. and to drive the car through that area too like if why, somebody why really did see the car you? yeah yeah. 
that doesn't make sense either because everybody's going to be like, where did you get that car? Right. And when I read that part about that inmate where Kenny supposedly told the inmate that, you know, that he's the one that did it and that he set Brian up and stuff, I'm like, whoa. But, you know, a lot of times they don't take inmates to be truthful. But again, what would the guy have to lose? Like, he's in prison for some of like the rest of his life. So why would he make it up? Because, you know, you figure some guys will just say stuff to lessen their time. Not this guy. Right. Not this one. Nothing to gain. Mm -mm. No, let's make a deal. Right. Hmm. And and, 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 and it is all like really circumstantial. But, oh my gosh, when I read that part two about supposedly the watch land in the seat of the cruiser i'm like what the hell (laughs) that was crazy yeah but yeah that's that's pretty much it if again if anybody knows any more details or if you remember the story or live in that area like please let us fill in the blanks for us do you know if they tested the dead man's clothing for dna did it say um, anything about that? No. No. Hmm. I think I there's mean, probably still some information that's not been put in the papers. I know DNA wasn't like really a thing back then, but yeah. I was just like, wondering. I even wonder did they keep the clothes then? Did they keep Virgil's clothes? They probably lost it. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I love doing the cases though where it just leaves you hanging like so in a hole. Do you have any thoughts? Do you think? He's innocent or not? Or do you just not want to say? Hmm. You're the one that did the research and read the articles. Like, which way are you leaning? Gosh, when I was going back and forth, back and forth. But there's something about it that tells me the guy's innocent. Something's not sitting right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. What do you, what do you, just by the little, it would be easier for you to read the info yourself. But what do you think? I mean, he would have to be a really bad criminal if he did it. Agree. Yeah. I don't know why someone like a, would like a real bring dumbass home, bring home a vehicle with all the evidence in one bag. Like that just seems really yeah. dumb. I don't know. Well, and like you would think too, like Virgil, okay, he owns this ice cream shop. He's owned it for 25 years. He's got the same routine every day. Somebody's going to notice something different. Yeah, and sometimes when, like, other officers and officers' families are involved, they just want to close the case as quickly as possible, and maybe they're not looking at all the evidence. They already have their mind up, made up on, Mm -hmm. like, who it is. I don't know. Policing was different back then than it is today. They don't have body cam. They didn't have body cams and all that stuff then, so I don't know. I don't know. At Mm -hmm. least he wasn't executed yet. Right. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, let's bring attention back to it. Yeah. All right. Is that all you got for us? That's all I got. Sorry about all the noises. (laughs) It's all good. If you can't get enough Operation Evil, consider supporting the podcast by joining our Patreon. We're getting ready to move over to that platform For the bonus episode, um, I'm covering that one. It's like a branch off of the last one that I told um, involving the Children of God cult. It's regarding the cult leader's adopted son and his murder-suicide. 
So if you want to listen, um, become a member, go check that out. There will be 27 bonus episodes on the platform already. We put out one new one a month. And yeah, that's it. That's all I got for you. So we appreciate every one of you for sharing our Facebook page lately and following it and liking it. We we notice. We we do. So thank you very, very much for that. We love your memes, Nayoka. Thank you. I do try. Yeah, you posted Kenny- a good one the other day. The the um instead of the rabbit the rabbit's foot, it was the human, <laughs> the human foot. foot. Yeah. Good luck. I was like, that's funny. <laughs> I love that one. If you um, guys don't follow, you should because we we really do try to post some fun stuff. It's funny throughout the day to get you through the day. And yeah. Kenny, the next guy. Um, you want more episodes, then go sign up for Patreon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back next time with a new episode. Goodbye. Bye.